0: was a good effort, wasn't it? Actually, more more productive than most of the meetings I'm in, so good job. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. So glad you're here for the celebration this weekend at Union Chapel. We're we're so so thankful that you've uh, come. Wasn't that a beautiful dedication time? Aren't those families so beautiful and precious? So much potential. We celebrate God's gift of life among us. It's wonderful. Well, today, in honor and tribute to our mothers, I have chosen uh, from the Old Testament book of Proverbs a familiar passage to some of you, perhaps, the the last proverb, chapter 31. And we find there some very honorable words given to a virtuous woman. We know that Solomon is the author of this proverb. And we also know that the verses we're going to read, verses 10 to 31, are actually in poetic form originally structured from the Hebrew, and that it's an acrostic, so that each succeeding verse begins with a different succeeding letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So it is a poem, and it is from Solomon. There are some scholars who further believe that Solomon not only wrote this about a virtuous woman in general, but that he was referring to his own mother in specific, Bathsheba. And so that makes it perhaps even more special. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Proverbs chapter 31. I'll begin at verse 10. If not, of course, we'll project the words on the screen. Our custom is to stand to hear God's words so as you're able, thank you for doing that. And Solomon writes, "'A wife of noble character, who can find? "'She is worth far more than rubies. "'Her husband has full confidence in her "'and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wood and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor, extends her hands to the needy. When it snows she has no fear of her household for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes covering for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done, and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. I reckon so. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks so much. I found some other elementary-age school kids who answered some questions about their mother. I thought that I'd share those with you. For example, the question, why did God make mothers? One, One little one said, she's the only one who knows where the Scots tape is. Another one said, mostly to clean the house. Another said, to help us out of there when we were getting born. (laughs) How did God make mothers? One said he used dirt, just like for the rest of us. Another said, magic plus superpowers and a lot of stirring. Another said, God made my mom just the same like he made me, he just used bigger parts. What ingredients are mothers made of? They were asked. One said, God makes mothers out of clouds and angel hair and everything nice in the world and one dab of mean. (laughs) Yeah. They had to get their start from men's bones. Then they mostly used string, I think. Yeah, it's a theory. Why did God give you your mother and not some other mom? One little girl said, We're related. Another said, God knew she likes me a lot more than other people's moms like me. (laughs) What kind of little girl was your mom? Well, I don't know because I wasn't there, but my guess would be she was pretty bossy. (laughs) Another one said, they say she used to be nice. (laughs) Why did your mom marry your dad? Well, my dad makes the best spaghetti in the world, and my mom eats a lot. Another said she got too old to do anything else with him. My grandma says that mom didn't have her thinking cap on. (laughs) Who's the boss at your house? Mom doesn't want to be boss, but she has to because dad's such a goofball. (laughs) Mom is the boss at my house. You can tell by room inspection. She sees the stuff under the bed. Yeah. I guess mom is, but only because she has a lot more to do than dad. And the room always goes quiet right there. <laughs> all weekend long, everyone goes, ooh, what's that? What, is that? <laughs> what does your mom do in her spare time? One little one said, mothers don't do spare time. <laughs> to hear her tell it, she pays bills all day long, another one said. Here's the last one What would it take to make your mom perfect? Well, on the inside, she's already perfect. Outside, I think some kind of plastic surgery. Yeah. Yeah. If you ask a young person about their mother, they'll refer to the stuff she does. You know, she takes care of me, she feeds me, she drives me around, that sort of response. As you get older, as you know, as you get older, you reflect more significantly on the influence of your mother. It is a significant and profound influence. Uh, my own mother, uh, you, you may have heard me muse about this, that she's been placed in an assisted living. She's 85 years old, and and she's doing okay, and we're very proud of her, and we love her and want to make sure she's cared for well. And as I reflect on my mother's life, uh, her tireless care and the sacrificialness of her love and the meals and the trips and all the hassles, uh, it's a re- remarkable thing. Uh, she used to correct me in church, you know uh, there was no junior church or anything like that children 's program in my little church growing up, so we were sitting there and I was acting up and getting impatient and tweaking my sister or whatever, Mama would just reach over with her thumb and forefinger and pinch the skin on top of my thigh and then twist it and It was very effective at helping me refocus on what was going on. She was a great mom, we were helping her uh, move in the other day and and it was uh, you know, it was an emotion-filled day as you, as you can imagine. And so last week I went to visit her, and she wanted to take me around and introduce me to folks there that she had met. And so we were walking the hallways in open areas, and she was everyone that we met, she introduced me and then began to say the most outrageous things about me. And it was very uncomfortable, it was very embarrassing. Uh, you know, it's the kind of stuff that only your mother would say. And it was way over the top. And, and it was just hard to deal with until I put it all in perspective. Because the day we were moving her in, I was carrying a plant that she had been nurturing for a while, this potted plant It's a big plant. And I was walking down the hallway toward her room, and one of her neighbors came out of her apartment into the hallway. And I, and I smiled. I said, can you see me? And she, you know, was trying to see me through this big plant as I was carrying it. I said, "I'm camouflaged." To which she said, "You're not Santa Claus." <laughs> no, no, ma'am, that's right. I'm, I'm not. But so you realize where you are, so you know it doesn't matter what people are saying <laughs> about you or anyone else. Oh my gosh. So we're trying to treat our mother very, very well. And Beth and I are going over and above because we want to model for our children what it looks like to care for elderly parents because just keep breathing in and breathing out and it'll be your turn one of these days. And so you, wanna, you want it to go well for you. I think about um, the occasions over the years when I've gone into Ball Hospital and just the timing was such that when I was going in, they would be wheeling out a new mom with the babe in arms. And I've always noticed the countenance, the expression on that new mother's face. And there's all kinds of messaging going on there. She is a different woman coming out of the hospital with a baby than she was when she went in to the hospital. She's had a life-changing experience. And now she has this baby in her arms And she not only has a maturity about her she didn't have before, but she also has this determination on her face. She's adoring this baby, she's bonding with this baby, she is determined to care and nurture this baby well. And then in addition to that, there's hope on her face. Because when she looks into the face of her new baby, she sees the future. And she sees it as a positive, hopeful future. It's an amazing moment. If you ever have the opportunity to experience that moment, take note. I also remember poignantly leaving the cemetery with a good friend of mine whose mother had just died and I had preached the funeral and I was walking with my friend kind of arm in arm and the poignancy, the loneliness of having to say goodbye to the person who brought you into the world. It's very moving. In my profession, there are other moments like this uh, just before a wedding procession starts, uh, you may imagine that the officiant, the pastor is in a side room, oftentimes with the groom and the groomsman, and we're waiting for the seating of the mother of the bride. So that's the last person to be seated before the procession starts, and so that's usually a signal for us to come out and join the party. And I always make note of the expression on the mother's face, the mother of the bride, when the procession starts and her daughter comes down the aisle to be married. And it's always interesting to look into the face of that mother and wonder what she's thinking. And more times than not, she's dabbing her face with her Kleenex. This is the love of a mother. And so we we have these moments, these life moments. And As I mentioned, Proverbs 31 is most likely not only a beautiful poem about a virtuous woman, but a man writing about his own mother. And so we find the meaning and significance of all of those things. A brief sermon this morning so that you can get out and celebrate with your families. We've already been celebrating here so beautifully with these children. So on your outline, you'll see a few points that I want to make briefly. The first is this, that this this person now that we celebrate and honor today in the context of motherhood she is first and foremost a woman. She is a woman. The sense of personhood in this person's life is central to, is essential to, is is most important to who she is. She is a woman. She finds her worth and her value and her significance, her specialness in being a woman. So the love and support and appreciation she receives from her husband and from her children is critically important. That's why Solomon wrote the words, her children rise up and call her blessed. I mean, what a beautiful phrase, right? Call her blessed. Her husband also praises her. And so we see in that the right thing to do, the right response to an honorable woman who has made a difference in your life. One one fatigued mother cried. I cook so many meals and wash so many clothes that I wouldn't be a bit surprised to look in the mirror some morning and discover I'd turned into an appliance. And this is from a woman who's simply saying to us that she doesn't feel like a person, but she feels like a function. So praise and affirmation are important, very important. They confirm her personhood. She is essentially a woman, and that needs to be confirmed and affirmed in her over and over again. Could I just say a word to all the women in the room, whether you're a mother or not? Could I just say to you that there are all kinds of voices in our culture today, all kinds of expectations being placed on you as a woman, all, all kinds of, of values and, and worldviews and, and pressure points trying to conform you into some image of expectation created by someone else? For all of the women in the the church this weekend, I want to say this. Reject the notion of a single mold. Reject it. You only have to please one person in the whole world, and that's Jesus. You are playing to an audience of one. There may be other people in your life, maybe even family members or friends or close associations in your life who think they know God's best plan and design for your life, but they don't know. The best plan and design for your life comes from Jesus himself. You live to please him. So a voice that says all women should marry or all women should have children or all women should pursue a career or all women should should homeschool or stay home with their kids. Listen, reject the notion of some singular mold and listen to the best design and plan for God and what he has for your life. Follow him honorably. And he will direct your paths and gives you the, give you the meaning that you need in your life. So, so I give you permission today to lay down your need to please other people, the need for you to somehow succumb to the expectations that the world or modern culture places on you. I give you permission to lay all of that aside and to live your life submitted to the best design and plan that God has for your life, and it will go well for you. Amen? All right, that's good preaching, I think. So she is a woman. She is a woman. And second of all, now she is a wife. Now she becomes a wife, preferably before she becomes a mother. And those first needs do not stop once children are born. What happens too often is that life happens and life gets busy and much of the focus of a woman, a wife, comes to children and and the husband to career and to other demands and pressure points. And so as a result of this, marriages suffer. Intimacy can be lost in the midst of the busyness and the demands of life, raising a family. And so here's what what I want to challenge you with. This sermon this morning is for mothers, but it's to husbands and children. This is a wake up now and let's pay attention to the needs of this Woman and this wife, so that we can best honor her under these circumstances. Gary Chapman wrote a seminal book a number of years ago now on the five love languages, and this book basically takes the ten thousand ways that you can say I love you to your spouse and condenses them down into five general categories, (laughs) and it's brilliant. It's you know it's the genius of summary, and so Chapman has come up with these five love languages. And listen, sir, husbands in the room, if you don't know your top one and two primary love languages of your wife, then you have work to do. You have work to do. Now, I wrote this sermon originally, I'm typing along, and I I found myself writing, if you don't know your wife's love languages, then you're a dope. (laughs) But that's a little stark, that's a little harsh. So I backed it up. You have work to do. You dope. You gotta, you gotta know this stuff. This is really important. So here are the five love languages. I know you're going, well, what are they, man? So you know, give me, help me out. They are words of affirmation, special gifts, acts of service, quality time, and non-sexual touch. Words of affirmation, special gifts, acts of service, quality time. Non-sexual touch. You say, well, how do you, how do you know, what do you, how do you find out what your, what your wife or your husband's love language is? Here's the answer. Just ask them. Gentlemen, before the night is over, you can know the top one and two love languages of your wife. All you have to do is politely, humbly, apologetically say, help me with this because I want to love you well. What are your top love languages? And you know what you'll find? She already knows them. She can tell you right now what they are. She she could whisper whisper them to them right now. And so they're readily available, then you have to practice. I have the best of all situations. My wife Beth, her love language are words of affirmation and non-sexual touch. Now why is that an advantage? Doesn't cost me anything. Quality time doesn't cost me any time. Uh, Special gifts doesn't cost me any money. I mean, it's perfect. All I got to do is talk a little bit and reach over and stroke her head once in a while. Rub her feet. Man, it's perfect. But you got to find out, and it may cost you because your wife's two big big love languages may be special gifts and quality time. Well, that means you're just going to have to go in a little bit more in order to love her well. And it's so important that you do that. At the door of her house stood a mother, her arms full of coats, four little children at her feet. The husband, the dad comes walking down the staircase. He said, why are you people all standing around? And so she hands him the coats and then says to him, this time you put the coats on and I'll go out and sit in the car and honk the horn. <laughs> Acts of service might be helpful. Years ago, I came home in the middle of the afternoon. It was summertime. And I pulled in the driveway, and on the front porch, I saw Beth and our oldest son, Aaron, who was about 12 years old at the time, on the front porch. I immediately began to read the body language. Aaron uh, was in the change. His hormones were kicking up. He was getting physically bigger and stronger. He was now bigger and stronger than his mother. And his body language, his posture, was, was towering over his mother, leaning over her. As if to try to intimidate her. Now, this is what happens in young boys' lives. You, you young parents, you have little boys. When they make the turn, they become like young bucks, bucks that you see in the in the woods banging heads with each other. And and so they've got these hormones, and you've got these muscles, and you've got these. Adi- you know, it's temporary insanity. And so the, you can't you can't reason with them. You have to you have to help them. Uh, in more f- intentional ways. <laughs> and, so, and, and so Aaron's standing there trying to intimidate, back his mother off. And I could see that Beth was standing there as sternly as she could, as stoically as possible, trying to keep that assertive energy going. But Aaron, a, he's a pretty powerful guy. And he, even at 12 years old, he was putting a full-court press on his mother. And I knew what was going on. So I pulled into the driveway. I don't know what they were saying. It didn't matter. I pulled in the driveway, got out of the car, walked right over to Aaron. I grabbed him by the lapels, and I pulled him back over to the car, and I bent him over backwards over the hood of the car, and then I put my nose on his nose. And I said, listen, bud, no one treats my wife that way. Not you, not anybody you know, not anybody else treats my wife that way. Not in my presence. And I will not tolerate you trying to intimidate my wife ever again. I said, the only reason you're here is out of the kindness of my heart. Your mother was here a long time before you got here, and she'll be here a long time after you're gone. You're just passing through. You're a guest in my house. You have food in your stomach and clothes on your back and a roof over your head just because I'm a nice guy. Otherwise, I'd kick your butt out on the street. Anyway, it was, it was not that nice. <laughs> because he has hormones and he's not, he's not rational. So you just got to let them get the message. And so it was really helpful to him. <laughs> Gave him perspective that he needed. And it was helpful for Beth. Because as it turns out, my wife Beth is the most important person in my life. I said these words out loud to Aaron. I said, Listen, my wife is a lot more important to me than you are. You're just some chump coming through, passing through my house. She's, she's my covenant partner. And so, therefore, my full devotion is to her, not to you. So, you back it up. And so, she's not only a woman, she's a wife. And these are these are primary identification marks. Not secondary. These are primary. These are first place. That leads to the third point, and simply, now she's a mother. We put this last because, because this is not her whole identity. It is simply this name given one of her functions. She's a mother. She's a lot of other things too. She's also a mother. However, in this role, she she has needs, she has opportunities. She has all kinds of grace required in order to fulfill this. She needs, she needs wisdom. She needs patience. She needs a little more patience. She needs patience on top of her patience. This is what's required. She needs reassurance in all this. She needs physical energy. She needs emotional uh, well-being and a sense of security made possible by her husband. And and all of these things contribute to the, to the needs of a family which are being met. It's, it's just an amazing thing that the needs which are met in a family by a mother are as diverse as life itself. So all of this grace is required, all this strength and virtue and capacity is required for a mother to do her job. One little guy named Brian had been scolded by his mother in the morning, and so at lunchtime he was quiet and thoughtful. And finally he looked up at his mother and he said, Mom, uh, God can do anything he wants, can't he? And the mother responded said, Yes, Brian, God can do anything. Brian paused a little bit longer and he said, God doesn't have any parents, does he? (laughs) Yeah. A mother meets the needs of her children by modeling her role as a woman. And a mother, moms, you tend to underestimate the impact, the influence that you have on your daughters and your sons. For example, with a daughter, um, you model for her what the primary role of motherhood and and womanhood really is. She learns from you primarily and principally what it looks like to be a devoted, full-grown adult woman. She's watching you. She's learning from you about all of these qualities. For your son, you know, your son, uh, uh, he he begins his life and lives many years of his life with you as the most important woman in the world. That's who you are to him. And a son will often resist to the death any effort his mother makes to interest him in some other young lady. He won't have it because he only wants you. And ultimately, his mother is the one by whom he judges the girl he will marry. So in all of these ways, a mother models and sets an example. Motherhood is among the highest callings of all. It's a remarkable thing. Hundreds of ways. As children are growing, the mother teaches principles for living that becomes a concrete experience of life. One, One mother said to her developing daughter, What are the sins of omission? What are the sins of omission? And after some thought, the daughter answered, they're the sins we ought to have committed but haven't. (laughs) For those of you not laughing, that's not actually the right answer. (laughs) Sort that out later. But children need big ideas. Children need huge ideas like love and faithfulness and forgiveness. And they learn them from their mother. Mothers have been given this amazing capacity to not only provide structure and discipline for children, but also love and nurture on the other side. That patience piece, that that nurturing piece. It's, it's really quite amazing, quite powerful. Well, she is, a, she is a woman. She is a wife. She is a mother. Now, could I just say out loud that sometimes in life you're given a mother who isn't quite as honorable as others. And that can happen. In spite of that experience, God stands ready to provide the grace you need, perhaps the healing you need, recovery you need. And on top of that, the ability to somehow learn from your mother, whether noble and honorable or not so much. So here's the homework assignment as we conclude this service today. Try to answer these questions. What are the most important things you learned from your mother? What are the most important things you learned from her? Spend some time thinking about that. And as I say, if your mother was less than honorable, maybe there are some things to avoid that you learned from her. Nevertheless, you learned And another question, what qualities did she instill in your life? You know you have some of her qualities. Maybe you have some of her anti-qualities. But they are there, and they're in your life. And it's good to recognize them. And then finally, what might you do in some practical way today and in the next few days to honor her or to honor her memory? What could you do? as an expression of love to her. Well, there's your homework, and I hope you'll take the time to think about it. Now, here's what I want to do. I wanna ask all the mothers in the room if you'll be kind enough to stand. We wanna pray for you and just bless you. All the moms standing. Now, if you are related to one of these moms standing, just take take their hand. If you're not related, keep your hands off of this lady. She's, that's none of your business. I know, I know what some of you are thinking. I'd like to hold her hand. And just leave her alone. <laughs> Not related to her. <laughs> now let's pause and pray. Lord, today we give you thanks for all of these mothers. Thank you for her tireless sacrificialness of care, all of the service, all of the nurture, the unending devotion, the unconditional love. Lord, in all of these ways, we have been influenced. We have learned. We have received qualities, abilities, and capacity because of her. And so we honor all of these mothers present. And we pray now that your special blessing would rest upon them. A deep sense of fulfillment, satisfaction might come upon them. For a job being done well or a job done well. In all of these ways, God, we bless, praise, and honor our moms. And we give you thanks for them. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. All right, would you all stand now?